Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the player swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, thank you as always for that introduction there, Jim Nance. And we've got a great show this week. We got ESPN golf analyst Andy North. You've heard him, you've seen him on ESPN for almost 30 years. Of course, two time US Open champion. This guy's got a great career. But we've seen him in our living rooms at all of these Masters and PGA Championships and Open Championships over these years. So great to get it, pick his brain a little bit about the upcoming Masters. Tiger Woods, Bryson DeChambeau, some of the favorites. We will get into that with him. Also, his style. I've always enjoyed kind of his personable style. It really comes off the air really well. He's not talking at you. He's talking with you, and I like that about Andy North. So we get into kind of what influences his style, what he's thinking there, and a little bit off-the-course stuff too as well. Uh, favorite TV show, it just plays through a series on Netflix. We'll get to that in a minute, him and his wife Susan. But they do a lot of great stuff for cancer research in Wisconsin as well. Uh, we'll get to Andy North in a minute. Really enjoyed that one. And we're going to also right now get to the sponsor, Encore Golf. And it's O-N-C-O-R-E. They got a tour ball at the Vero X1. Four-piece design, cast urethane premium cover for optimum feel. This is a great ball off the driver for me. I have a lot of side spin, a lot of back spin. It really helps actually gain about eight or nine yards off the tee. So it makes a big difference coming into the greens a little closer to the greens, of course. Um helpful hugely helpful for me off the tee also great feel around the greens as well chipping is so important i think we're all going to miss greens right so it's it's helpful to have a ball that you can trust and i'm really uh, getting comfortable with it i really enjoy um, the vero x1 ball so check it out encore golf remember again it's o-n-c-o-r-e encore golf some of their balls have already been listed in golf digest gold list so check them out they've got some great reviews uh, but now let's get to it, though. Andy North from ESPN, one of the great voices in the game. <laughs> and we'll get to it here on Beyond the Clubhouse. Well, I am pleased to be joined by my next guest, Andy North. You see him on ESPN Golf. Of course, you've seen him win U.S. Opens, two U.S. Opens in the past. Another PGA Tour event. He's won a Champions Tour event with Tom Watson, his good friend. Andy, how's it going this morning? How are you? Great, thank you. Looking forward to getting to the Masters in a couple of weeks. Well, I was going to ask you, that's a great point about the Masters. Back when it was postponed, you had made the point that it's often a lot uh, wetter, a lot more dense there, the conditions in November. I'd imagine you've been there during that, that time of the year. So what should the players really expect as they get ready to, for this Masters? There's going to be no fans, I should say, no patrons. So what are you expecting? Well, I think to, to explain what happens is that they plant the, the, the winter grass usually about the 1st of October. Um, and then they have to keep it very, very wet for it to grow properly so it can get ready for April, obviously. Um, so whenever you go there in the fall, it's wet and the golf course is playing really long and there's no roll at all and the lies aren't very good because you've got this new grass that's not very healthy yet. So 
I'm sure it's going to be much better than that. But I think that probably you're going to see some lies in the fairways that aren't as good as they are in April. Uh, the quality of the grass, if anybody can get it perfect, it's Augusta National. We all know that. Uh, they're amazing. But I think it's just, you know, Mother Nature is, it plays a big part in that. They need some good, good growing weather, obviously, during this period of time and, and some good weather overall. And hopefully when we get there and they'll be uh, very, very good. I think the greens will be terrific. I think the fairways are, you know, they've got to keep them a little bit softer and, and, and a little moist because they're trying to get that grass to really grow well. Yes. Well, you've been to so many Masters in the past. And when you look at this particular field and the storylines, we look at Tiger Woods coming off of that tie for 72nd at Sherwood. What are your expectations for Tiger Woods? I know you were a big fan of his going into last year's Masters. You said his putting was looking very good. He was hitting it where he sees it. What are you seeing out of Tiger right now? Well, I think we see a guy who hasn't played very much golf. Um, I mean, basically, if you look at it, since, Zoo, since he won a year ago, he hasn't played much golf at all. Um, and I think that's the biggest part. You have to get into rhythms of rounds. You have to, uh, you know, you put the work in at home, but it's totally different once you get there. And he hasn't played that, that much. Um, you know, there was even some talk that he might try to play Houston. Uh, the week before Augusta. I don't know if that's still in his plans or not, uh, but it, if that would be a huge uh, difference in what he normally does getting ready for major championships. But if he felt like he had a nice round on, on Friday there last week and then didn't play particularly well any of the other three rounds. So, you know, I think it's just you talk about it being rust. You talk about it, uh, you know, usually – when you haven't played much and in tournament settings, you can hit the ball okay, but you don't score quite as well. Your short game usually isn't quite as sharp as when you're playing every week. And he's, he's playing against guys now that are coming off of playing an awful lot of golf over the last two or three months, and they're ready to go. Yes. Well, there are a lot of other players to really look at. What are some favorites? What are a couple that really come to your mind for this year? Well, I think you've got lots of groups of players here. This, there's got a lot of guys that obviously can win. You've got that older group that have that obviously great experience there from Tiger to Phil to that group of guys that realistically their chances aren't probably great. Then you've got the Rory's and the Justin Thomas's and the Jordan Spieth's and Ricky Fowler and that whole group of guys now that are getting to be the veteran players. They've been out here now for eight or 10 years, a lot of those guys. Uh, Rory's looking for the Grand Slam if he can win here. Um, you know, he hasn't played at his best over the last three or four months. I, I think he's a guy that's really missed having the fans there. He plays off of that energy a lot, as Tiger does. Uh, but you've got that group of guys, the, you know, Patrick Reed. You've got a ton of that group, you know, the almost 30 or just 30, Justin, Dustin Johnson, uh, Brooks Kepka. It looks like he's going to be able to play. I mean, that's really an amazing group of players. Then you've got this little new group that's that's come out there that – Colin Marco, Mark Morikawa and, and uh, Wolf and, uh, you know, that group, you know, they've really played some really, really good golf. And then you throw the odd, the odd one in there, and that's Bryson. You know, what Bryson has been doing, what he did at the U.S. Open was absolutely amazing. Uh, I'm really looking – I'm excited about seeing what he's going to do at Augusta National. Can he overpower the golf course like we've never seen anybody do it before? Uh, I mean, a lot of people have seen the videos of him supposedly hitting at 400 yards and, 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 you know, getting his ball speed up over, you know, 
220 or some ridiculous number. So is he, if he's going to show up with a 48-inch driver or not, I don't know. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see, and I think there's going to be a lot of interest in what he does. Certainly, and he's already talked about playing number 13 out into 14 fairway and getting a different angle that way. I mean, what kind of potential does this particular Bryson DeChambeau bring into Augusta this year? Well, it, it changes really everything. And, and the fact that there are no people there, there are going to be no patrons, that's going to be a big deal because that's a shot. You couldn't try to do that normally because there'd be too many people you'd have to move. Unfortunately, I've hit it into the woods straight away at 13. I did that playing with Nicholas one year there, and it took 30 minutes to move the people so that you could actually try to play some kind of shot. So, uh, you know, that won't be the case. If he wants to go places that no one's ever gone before, it's going to be much easier because there won't be anybody out there. The other names that I heard you mention, Colin Morikawa, Matthew Wolf. When you look at these guys trending, playing really well at other majors, especially the PGA Championship in their cases, Matthew Wolf being in the final group of the U.S. Open at age 21, Fuzzy Zeller won in 1979. It's the first time. It's the last time we've seen that. What kind of chances are we seeing here? I think, you know, this may be an easier year for a first-timer to win because it's going to be the first time for most of these guys to see what the golf course looks like. Uh, you know, no grandstands, no patrons. Uh, it's going to be really weird. I know I've gone there and played rounds after all the stuff had been taken down, and it's, it looks like a totally different golf course. So, uh, some of the local knowledge might be different. Uh, the speeds might be a little bit different. You know, we don't know until we get there. I know Augusta National is trying to get it as close to what they need it to be, but you don't know until it actually happens. And what's the weather going to be like? So I think maybe it might be a little bit easier for those guys. And and I, I teased Matthew Wolf. I did a, 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 one of these things with him a, a week or so ago. And, and I said, this is just like you playing in college terms. He says, yeah, it's, 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 you know, there's, 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 there's a few people here and there, and that's pretty much it. So uh, I think realistically for a young player, it's probably simpler without all the people out there. So we'll see how, you know, how you react to that. And it's funny you mentioned Matthew Wolf and college. When I talked to him at Bay Hill this year, he said he was in college when he saw Tiger Woods win on his birthday that Sunday at Augusta. So just an amazing turnaround we're seeing with some of these younger players. It's impressive with the younger guys. You mentioned Brooks Kepka a minute ago. This guy was right there last year to try to win that major, to try to win the Masters. I mean, I know he hasn't had the reps. He's been a little bit injured, but still, what a threat he is, isn't he? Well, he, his game, you know, who knows, again, until he gets there and we, we get to see how his left knee is doing. Uh, you know, coming off an injury, you can rehab it, you can hit balls, you can do all that stuff. But the first downhill lie you get at Augusta and you've got to put a lot of force on that knee, obviously it, it runs through your head until you can play some of those and not worry about it. We don't know. But obviously he's an amazing talent. He sure gets his game geared up for major championships. And I think that's one of the things I've really appreciated so much about Brooks is that he's able to raise it when he needs to raise it. And his record in the majors over the last five years has been incredible. Scott Van Pelt asked me to ask you about, oh. about Augusta National Golf Club, but Augusta National Country Club and reading there with books. What's the story there, Andy? <laughs> well, we had, we used to, that was our set for years over there before we actually got on the grounds and uh, there'd be long days. You, you know, there, it was a, fewer of us there 
So you're doing sports centers at seven in the morning and you're finishing up doing them live at, you know, 1230 or something. So the days were ridiculous and we'd all be a little bit uh, giddy by that point in time. And Ben Pelt would, we'd be waiting for a tape or something. He'd go get a book off the shelf and then re read it to us in some British accent that it would get us just ridiculous where you couldn't go on and actually do any TV or laughing so hard. And you're, you know, you're, you're completely losing it. And, uh, he's, he's terrific with imitations and he would read these like some, you know, 1800 Scott Scotsman. And it was just absolutely hilarious. Well, so many open championships there, St. Andrews and, and time over there with Scott Van Pelt. What's, what's a favorite memory playing golf with Scott? Well, Scotty, Scotty loves to play. He doesn't play a ton. Um, he, he and a group of his guys love playing par three golf in the DC area. That was their summer. They'd spend a week doing that in the summer every year, but uh, it was always fun to get Scotty. We'd be out at a tournament someplace and maybe you're on the West coast and you finish at three o'clock uh, and you go and try to play nine holes or that sort of thing. And he'd never have any shoes. He'd never have his clubs. So he's playing out of my bag. So every time he hit a ball into the houses, it was my, one of my balls. It wasn't one of his, but it, you know, we've been great friends for a long time and anything we do, we do enjoy it. Well, there are so many, you mentioned friendships. I love the friendships of golf, the lasting friendships we make. When you think of other people, I think of Jack Nicholas. I mean, you've spent so much time with him at the Masters and different events, Memorial over the years. How special has that friendship been for you, Andy? Well, I think one of the coolest things about our sport is that growing up, hitting five footers on, on the practice screen at night, waiting for your mom or dad to pick you up at the golf course, this five footers to win the masters to beat Arnold, this five footers to win the U S open to beat Jack. You know, those are the games that every single kid played uh, to have these guys, your heroes, and then get a chance to play against them and then become great friends. That's an amazing thing that doesn't happen in many other businesses. Hmm. Well, another great friend, Tom Watson, of course you've won a, ch a champions tour event. The very next year in 2009, you're on the call of the Open Championship. He's right there down the mix. What were the emotions like for you? Because you've got to be professional, but still, how do you talk through that? That probably was the most difficult 36 holes I've done for TV uh, because you're trying to be professional. You're trying not to be obvious that you're pulling for this guy to win. Uh, but he played, you know, he made it easy in, in a lot of ways because he played so well, you know, so that he was in the middle of it. Um, the playoff was really, really difficult to do because I knew that, you know, the energy had been unplugged and he hit a couple of poor shots and, uh, you, you know, you could see the handwriting on the wall and that was, that was very difficult, but he, he played so well, 59 years old, maybe one of the greatest feats ever accomplished in athletics, win or lose, uh, that he had a perfect shot on the last hole and got a little bit unlucky and ended up getting in a playoff. One, uh, for us golf fans, what, what a moment for us to all watch for Stuart Sink, um, being a part of that too. You look at the other friendships, Aaron Rodgers has been a huge friend for your cancer research that you've done for the uh, w, UW Carbone Cancer Center, all, 11 million plus that you guys have raised through your event, the Andy North and Friends. What has it been like with Aaron Rodgers? Is there a fun memory that comes to mind on the golf course with him? Well, first of all, he's ultra competitive and he doesn't like to get beat. And those are the kind of guys that it's really fun to needle when you are laying it to them a little bit. Uh, but we've had a ton of fun. And, you know, there's been, I think we're probably 
as lucky as any athletes can be that our sport is a sport everybody wants to play. And the fact that these guys love playing it, they have, you know, we have great access to them. And, you know, because of it, you made an awful lot of friends through other athletes, politics, business, whatever. And, and we're the only sport that's that way that you can actually get out there and play with them. And, you know, Aaron's been a great friend for a long time and it's sure fun to watch him play so well. When he mentioned Needling, he is such a competitor. I've seen him at the AT&T Pebble Beach event at Edgewood with other quarterbacks. He's so competitive with those guys. What's an example of you needling him or vice versa at a round in the past? Well, he always gives me grief about, you know, he, I can't beat him because I'm this old geezer. Um, at the same time, I'm going at him that, you know, you're never going to beat me. I don't care how old I get, you know, that kind of stuff. But we have we have an awful lot of fun with it. And uh, it's fun to do a lot of trash talking when you start making some putts, that kind of thing for for each one of us back and forth. And I think that's I think he really enjoys that because it's a total different completely away from what he does on a day-to-day basis. And it's a great, great way to get away from what he's dealing with all the time. Certainly. And that event that you've raised so much for Andy North and friends, how fulfilling is it to have done so much for cancer research? And you of course were diagnosed in 1991, like, and your mother, Mary, there's so much connected um, with this for you. Both my wife and I uh, had parents die of cancer um, and fought the battle. We both have had our, our share of, skin cancers and some other stuff. Uh, But I think the biggest thing is that, you know, we're all lucky to be able to use our platform to do something good. And, and we, for years and years, I've been involved with other things uh, in the Madison community and, and we wanted to do something that we could put our stamp on and we knew the money could get where it needed to go. And it it was just something that was real simple. Uh, We started out thinking that, you know, if we can just raise a few bucks, that would be great. Uh, the very first year, uh, the gentleman that was involved in fundraising for the cancer center, his wife found out that she had cancer at the same time we were trying to start this event. So it was like crazy. And we just decided, hey, if we have 20 people show up, they're going to have a great time. And um, Aaron and Tom Watson were kind enough to show up the very first year. And it's a pretty nice way to get started. And it, it's just blossomed into a really nice event that you know, we've got a lot of people that are really bought into what we're trying to do. And they've, we've really formed partnerships with a lot of the businesses in the area that uh, they're deeply involved in the Cancer Center now, which is a win-win for everybody. Where can our listeners go to learn a little bit more about this research and the work you're doing? Well, I think you can go to uh, Andy North at, at Carbone Cancer Center or anything at just Carbone Cancer Center, UW. And they've got places you can click on. To, there's an Andy North Fund. There's uh, Andy North and Friends. That's the name of our event. So you, you can find it that way through that. Uh, it's probably much easier for you to find than for me. So that's, uh, you know, you're a little better at this stuff than I am. <laughs> Not trying to make you feel old. I think I'm exactly almost half your age. Well, thanks. Um, <laughs> no, I'm <just> kidding. <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you, though, Andy, I, I've seen you talk about passion. UW, you want to talk about passion for sports. I've seen you. I, I think I met you in Maryland. I was working yeah. a Maryland game, and there you were in the hallways talking with Maryland fans, Turk fans. You love your basketball team. Talk about how special they are to you. Well, I, you know, growing up in Madison, uh, my dad was a, was a high school coach for years. Uh, so, I, you know, you grew up in that environment. I've 
tons of the, the coaches here have been really good friends for years. So I've been involved with football, been involved obviously with the basketball. We're, we're pretty deeply involved with volleyball. Uh, pretty much anything that's going on UW, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's great entertainment and it's, it's fun to be around the young kids, you know, the energy and the excitement and the, and the dreams are all there. And it's, it's fun to be around that. It, it keeps you young. Um, and that's a big part of it. The basketball, I love basketball as a kid playing. Um, my dad was a basketball coach, as I was saying. So, I, you know, it's just fun to be around these guys. And they've been kind enough to let me kind of tag along. And uh, it's been great. And the friends you've made over the years, it's amazing that, you know, now you, these guys that were these 18-year-olds that walked on the campus, they had no clue what was going, they were going on. Now they're 35 and they've got families and real jobs and that kind of stuff. It's, it's been fun to watch them grow up. And you're not just there. You're you're behind the the bench a lot of times. You're you're very much. You're going to practices sometimes too. When was the last time you missed a game in general? Well, it will be this year. Um, you know, it looks like that. You know, we're going to be playing before closed houses pretty much all year long. So, uh, you know, I was I was uh, in in the locker room when we won the Big Tim Championship after after the last game of the season at Indiana and. You know, it's, it's, it's just fun to see how hard these guys work because you've gone through it. You've put the time in. You've, you've done it all yourself. And to see how they buy into things and, and work hard and have something good happen coming out the other end is really fun. Mm. Well, there are so many things that our listeners know about you. Of course, we see you on ESPN Golf with Michael Eaves or with Scott Van Pelt. Your style, in your own words, how would you describe your style? Because I know you're influenced by John Madden's style and Hubie Brown's style on the air. Well, when I first started with ESPN, that was long, almost 30 years ago, um, I got some tapes of guys I thought did a really nice job. And one, it was Hubie and, and John Madden. And what I liked about them is that they told you something you didn't know. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that can read stats out of books and that kind of stuff. And, and they, they said it before the play happened or before the shot happened uh, or explained something after the fact that didn't have to do with, oh, gee, did this, so that was good. It was more philosophy kind of stuff. So uh, I've tried to uh, inform the viewer of what could or could not happen before somebody actually hits the shot. You know, set the shot up. This is his strength. This is his weakness. Can he pull it off? Can he pull it off? And then just see what happens. I mean, anybody can comment afterwards, but, you know, can you set it up properly so they, they can learn something at home? Mm, certainly. And, of course, we've, we've learned a lot over the years. I remember 2008 at Torrey Pines, you were always saying Tiger is the guy to beat. Each night there in the recaps, you were you – were, uh, pointing that out. And in the end, he was. Back then, it wasn't very hard to be right most of the time back then. <laughs> where, where does the 2019 Masters rank all time in, in events you've covered, Andy? It was, uh, it's, it's different than the ones that, I mean, one, doing the Sports Center there, uh, it was amazing in the fact that the response after he won. I thought that was the most amazing part of it. His walk from 18 to the scores area all the people that were there, the, no, the level of noise you, you don't hear at Augusta National ever. Um, the amount of players that came back out to see him, uh, I think that was amazing. But sitting in a booth is totally different than if you could have been out there walking with him the last nine holes. Um, and that's not the case at Augusta. Uh, I've been lucky enough to do that with him 
at Hoylake. I walked every single hole with him there when he won. Um, you know, a bunch of probably another 10 or 15 times I've been lucky enough to be walking down the last fairway with him when he's going to win. And that's amazing. Um, you know, you, it's almost like you're doing it yourself in that you, you get amped up and your adrenaline's going. Um, and that's, and that sometimes is hard to control, even when you're only talking about it. When your adrenaline is going, Andy, and you're at an event that's not golf related, Wisconsin Badgers, what have you, what are a couple of the biggest moments, the most exciting adrenaline moments you've had? Oh boy. Um, uh, Ben Brust made a half court shot to tie Michigan about 14, maybe, uh, Michigan was one or two in the country. Um, I've been on the field when Wisconsin beat Ohio state football when they were number one in the country about eight years ago. Then we beat Ohio state again in the Cole center when they were number one. So within about eight months, we beat number one ranked football, number one ranked basketball for Ohio state. Those are pretty cool. Uh, I think, you know, getting to the final fours were, were really a big deal. Um, you know, the, sometimes it's not just, the wins, but, you know, just being part of uh, great performances. Um, you know, sometimes you, you, you play the best you can possibly play and you don't win. You know, that's, that's okay. You know, that's all right. And, but I think, uh, you know, sometimes when you've been part of it and now you get to sit back and watch, uh, you know, it's, it's, it might be more difficult to sit in the stands watching and pulling for your guys than it is actually out there being able to have some results uh, tied to what you do. Well, when you're not at some of the country's greatest college basketball stadiums or the most amazing golf t uh, courses around the world, I see the TV behind you when you, your wife, Susan, and you are sitting down relaxing, watching Netflix or watching one of your favorite shows, what, what come to mind for you guys? Oh gosh, we just, we just finished three seasons of Ozark in about the last 10 days. Um, you know, it's, I watch a lot of sports. I'll admit it. I watch an awful lot of it. Um, uh, she gets mad at me because, you know, how can you watch that game? You don't care about anybody there. Well, it's just fun to, you know, fun to watch, uh, the game last night, uh, to watch Russell Wilson do his thing and, and Tyler Murray, you know, two unbelievably talented guys that are really doing some good stuff for, uh, you know, Mahomes to watch him play. I mean, if you don't watch enough of it, you're going to miss some amazing things people do. And, uh, you know, that's the neat thing about athletics. You have no idea uh, what's ever going to happen. 25-point uh, underdogs win games. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's pure, uh, you know, re reality TV. Yeah, I think a UMBC, I'm, I'm in the DMV where I live, UMBC beating Virginia in that first yeah. round, unbelievable. Then Virginia wins it all the next year. How do you predict this stuff, Andy? <laughs> well, I love that. We, we got to remember these are kids too. You know, that's the thing. They're still kids. Definitely. Well, every single listener on this podcast plays the game of golf, and I've heard you give different tips about chipping. I, I want to get into chipping for a minute and then also pre-round routine. When we're yeah. warming up for our rounds, Andy, and I know you mentioned having an open stance um, and you know using different types of clubs to chip with, but, but what are some good things we can do in those 20, 25 minutes as we're warming up around the greens? Well, I think the biggest thing is that 
you know, you want to get loose. You're not going to try to try something new that day. And I think a lot of people think that if you go to the practice tee, you're supposed to try something. It's you go to the practice tee before the round to get warmed up so that you can go ahead and play. Hopefully your best you can play. Uh, if you've got a chance to, to pitch and chip a little bit, the biggest thing that I think I, I talk to average players about is that you have to accelerate the club. Too often you see players take great big swings and then decelerate into the ball. You hit them fat, you skull them. Uh, you know, a, a, a shorter three-quarter half back swing with some acceleration, uh, it will be a much easier shot to pull off that way. Once we're on the greens and we're putting, you know, whether it's 20 putts, 25 putts, what, what are some good thoughts to have and, and good processes to go through? Well, I think the, you can't be a good putter until you learn how to control the speed. Um, so to me, practicing a lot of different lengths putts, try to get the speed right. If, it, it doesn't matter if you're online. If the speed's not right, it's never going to go in. So uh, it, all the good putters, and if you watch on TV, all the great putters, speed is always really, really good. You don't see him leaving it five feet short and hitting it five feet by very often. Uh, and that's, it just, you know, takes the stress out of your second putts. And I think it gives a bigger hole to be putting in if it's going up there at the right speed. Is there a go-to drill with speeds that you like? No, I think it's just a matter of doing a lot of different links and try to find putts if you can find them that have great big breaks on them. And you might not be able to do that on a putting green. Usually the putting greens are pretty flat, but maybe you can go out in the golf course late in the evenings or something and practice some of those that break eight or 10 feet to understand how the slope affects the speed. Hmm. When you were playing in your playing days, your pre-round routine, what was that like? How would you take us through that? Well, I would, I would walk out of the locker room exactly an hour before the tee time. Uh, I'd you know, go to the practice tee and I'd, I'd do a little bit of stretching there. I'd already done a little bit prior to that, but I'd do a little bit of stretching on the, on the tee itself. And I'd start warming up with, with a middle, a gap wedge. I'd hit a, quite a few gap wedges and I'd hit some pitching wedges. Uh, probably, uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes of, you know, trying to get a rhythm built and a good rhythm for the day. Uh, I didn't want to hit too many long shots because you get swinging at it too hard. So I spent a lot of time with wedges. Then I'd go to seven iron, probably eight or 10, seven irons, eight or 10, four irons, uh, a three wood, a driver. And then I always went back and hit some wedges at the end just to slow things back down a little bit. You know, so that you went to the practice tee with a, a really good feel of what you're trying to do or went to the pr first tee with a good feel. We see different philosophies. We see Tom Watson warm up with the three iron to get yeah. all his muscles engaged, right? Right, right. If I did that, there'd be pieces laying on the ground. But, but there's so much stress for us amateur golfers. We're getting ready. We're coming straight from the office. I mean, like, how yeah. do we mentally get into the right frame of mind for a round of golf? I think, I think the biggest thing is that you know, usually you're in a hurry. Uh, you're, you're racing through town to get to the golf course because you've come from work or some other, uh, you know, endeavor. Uh, I think if you, if you can get there, even if it's just 10 or 15 minutes, and sometimes putting your just to be able to sit and put your shoes on and just sort of relax and get everything calmed down so that when you go out there, even if you don't get a chance to hit 100 balls, if you can just go hit four or five balls and just make sure that you're halfway loose and, and, you don't have to go hit drivers, you know, maybe you go hit some seven iron just to get a rhythm going and, and get loosened up a little bit. Definitely. Yeah. Um, the thing about golf though, I, a lot of times with, with our practice, like we, I don't know, maybe we're, we're not 
planning our day properly. And sometimes we do just get there with five or six minutes. I mean, if we're just in that, in that pinch of five minutes, what, what is the biggest, the biggest thing there? Well, maybe just, you know, a couple of stretches so that, you know, you're a little bit looser for your first tee shot. It's, it's amazing guys. I'll say, gee, I never get off to a good start. Well, if you race from the office, you run out there and your shoes are still untied by the time you get to the first tee and then you swing at it as hard as you can on the very first, there's no way you're ever going to hit a good shot. You know, well, I'm six over par after four holes. Well, you know, there's, and then I get, once I get going, I'm okay. Well, so much of that is how you prepare to start the game. In, pre in preparation for you on off days, on practice days, was it much different than your warm up there on, uh, before a round of competitive? Well, it depends if it was a day just to see the golf course or if it was a day to really put some work in. I tried to always get loosened up and go through a decent warm up before I went out and played. It didn't matter where. Uh, but was it a day that I was going to really work on some things in my golf swing where you might hit balls for three, four, five hours during that day? That, that would be the, you know, the only difference. As we wrap up here, the Masters coming up in a couple of weeks. Winning score, I know Scott Van Pelt says you're one of the best at predicting this. What, what, what is your overall thought? Well, I, I think it all depends on if it's going to be soft when we get there. If, if it's soft, there will be some good scores. Uh, if it's firm, and who knows what the weather – you know, generally we're, we're picking on, on Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday evening where you have an idea what the weather is going to be for the week. I mean, you could have a week with some fronts that come through and six, seven, eight under par would be great scores. Or you could have a nice week where there's, like at Sherwood last week, where there's no wind at all, the weather is nice, it's soft, and you put soft a soft golf course in front of these guys, they're going to shoot really low. So, you know, it could be with soft conditions, it could be 16, 17, 18 under. With, with firm conditions, it could be 5, 6, 7, 8 under. So, you know, you don't really have a good sense until you get there and you look at the forecast and you see how firm it is and that sort of thing. Andy, it's been a blast, and thanks for uh, talking a little Masters yeah, with us as we get excited, and listen, we're looking forward to it. Are we going to see you down there? I will be there, yes. Good. Good. I'll, I'll be in the TV trucks uh, doing some work, playing back some of the historical features uh, of the Masters. So. Fantastic. We'll look forward to seeing you. It'll be another, what, nine-day uh, <laughs> quarantine in a hotel, right? Just like yeah, the PGA. Exactly. Hopefully, we, you know, negative tests when we get there. That's the key. That's it. All right, Andy, appreciate Thanks. it. Appreciate it. See you later. All right, Andy North, ESPN golf analyst. I thought that was a fun show with him. Very good stuff there on Tiger Woods. Some quick analysis. He, I guess he's not been playing enough. Uh, clearly, let's just call it as we see it. And then Bryson DeChambeau, I love what he said about him as a favorite. Not having the crowd, how crucial that will be with what he's already doing, having the added distance. So good thoughts there on Bryson DeChambeau. And we have a huge Masters coming up, and we're going to be hearing and seeing a lot more from Andy North. So great of him to visit with us. I hope you got to know him. That's really my key there. I want you to get to know him and his style and how he thinks a little bit more just outside of what we see with him on SportsCenter, what we see with him on ESPN. So hopefully you did. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Johnson Garrett. And then the handle here for the podcast at Beyond Clubhouse. Great stuff. Hope you enjoyed it this week. And we've got a bunch of other guests coming up. Keep an eye on it. And uh, thanks again for joining me here on Beyond the Clubhouse. <laughs>